Hey everyone, it's Eddie. We're talking to Steven Santiago today. Uh, we had a blast talking about um, his journey into coding, um, working at a place he really loves, and also um, his first job and handling um, some of the technology problems there. Um, if you'd like to support the show, you can visit us at techjunior.dev, uh, subscribe to our newsletter, and um, become a patron, or you can buy some swag. Tweet us at Tech Junior Podcast. Uh, leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. Uh, tell your friends. Anything you could do to support the show is greatly appreciated, and let's get into it. Welcome to Tech Junior. My name is Lee Warwick Jr. I'm a full-stack JavaScript developer, and I have with me, as always, Eddie. Hey, it's Eddie. I'm a front-end developer. And we have a special guest with us. We've got Steven Santiago. Did I say that correctly? Yes, yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I feel like I, even the easy names I'm going to butcher at this point. Uh, <laughs> Steven, if you could introduce yourself for the, the audience. Yeah, like Lee said, uh, my name is Steven Santiago. Um, I live in the greater Orlando area. Um, I am what you would call a digital product developer. Um, I've been in the industry officially for about five to six years, I would say, uh, freelancing a little bit longer than that. Um, but yeah, that's a little background so far. Cool. So, um, where are you working currently? Uh, so right now I'm actually, uh, working for a company in downtown Orlando called Purple Rock Scissors. Um, we're located in the plaza, better known as the Chase Building, right downtown. Movie theater building, right? Correct. Funny enough, I have been there almost two years now, um, and I, to this day, I still have not gone to that movie theater while working there. Have you been to the uh, the taco place with the wine thing? Uh, they're actually closing down. Uh, I think you're talking about Cella? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I've been there uh, even before it was Cella, I forget... Uh, with the wind down Wednesday craziness that they always have down there. Yeah. Yeah, there's closing? like 8 billion girls in scantily yeah. clad outfits packed it's in. Basically, yeah. It's a bunch of girls and like, uh, I don't know, uh, sugar daddies and stuff that shows up. But um, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're actually closing. Uh, we just got word the other day. Wow. Um, what were you going to say, Eddie? Are you, are you lamenting no, the close of cellos? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been, it's a, uh, it was a good time. That's a that's a little the long local time Orlando ago. flavor for anybody out there curious about uh, Orlando, um, but yeah, can you tell us a little bit about uh, Purple Rock Scissors? Yeah, so uh, Purple Rock Scissors um, is a very very nice company to work for. Um, they're my second official uh, company that I've been with as a developer. Um, the company basically is mainly centered around uh, design development uh, and R and P. And uh, as far as I know, I believe our company has been open for about 12 years, if I'm not mistaken. Um, we basically try to bring in people and make them the best versions of themselves. Um, and we pretty much do encourage uh, people who are of a T-shaped uh, skill set. So you would have uh, your main skills that uh, you would work on a day-to-day -day basis, but there's always that flexibility uh, for you to learn things. Uh, we have things called explore hours. So uh, they do allow us to basically, you know, one up or level up our knowledge. Um, but there's always, you know, going to be that task of uh, maybe something that you don't know. So let's say uh, if I needed, uh, let's say, for instance, React or something like that, um, but I've never touched React, um, they're basically going to ask like the project managers and our uh, actual dev managers, you know, do you think you're up to the task? Have a genuine conversation, always be honest. And um, even if it's something that we don't necessarily know, it's a nice place that uh, we have enough uh, wiggle room usually to thrive and really learn more on the job as well. Awesome. So I kind of wanted to dig into Purple Rock a little bit because um, as a junior developer, when I was kind of coming out of the boot camp, I was looking at companies in the area and different agencies and whatnot. And Purple Rock, Purple Rock Scissors jumped out as like, wow, that's a really cool company. Uh, they've got a, a great website. It's not like too flashy or anything. Um, and just a lot of kind of buzz around the name. So um, 
that's kind of interesting to dig into and, and learn a little bit of, about uh, companies like that and kind of how they operate internally. So uh, hearing about like, you know, that they have basically time for you to do your own personal development uh, on the clock is, is something that I hear about from some of the best companies out there. So um, yeah. it, it's pretty cool that, that they, you know, let you guys do that. There's a lot of places I think that kind of want you to either be learning something that's directly applicable to whatever your current project is um, or like doing that stuff in your own time. So you kind of are, you know, on your own as far as personal learning and, and development and whatnot. So um, it, it's pretty cool that they kind of have that mindset of like growing their own people and, and letting them kind of expand their knowledge. Yeah, I would say um, as far as I, I've done a lot of research on the topic because that type of thing is really important to me. And I just think that the way that Purple takes care of it um, is truly special because we have, I would say, pretty much on a weekly basis, either meeting with our dev manager or lead dev um even some uh, team members from the sales team, they're always asking like, what do you want to work on? Because the a common misconception is like anything that comes into the door, we're just going to sign the contract and get the work done. But that's not really the case. Uh, Purple really vets not just the people that they're hiring, but also the people that they're doing business with it as well, because they're not considered customers, they're really considered partners. So in doing that, they really want to sign on projects that you know, the employees, us really want to do as well. Yeah. I have to imagine that that goes a little bit in the way of kind of keeping retention high and making sure that, you know, the developers are engaged and happy with what they're working on. Cause if they yeah. have kind of some skin in the game where they're like, man, you know, I've, I've always wanted to work with, I don't know, Python or something. You guys have a project come in and Python would be a good fit for it. Um, maybe you can get a couple developers that are interested in that and put them on that. And, you know, as long as it, developers are like, I don't know, whenever we get to work on something that we're interested in, it seems like we want to dig in deeper. But whenever we're working on something that's like what we maybe conceive as like boring or outdated technology or whatever, uh, it seems like it's it's a big challenge keeping everybody on the same page and kind of invested in the project. Yeah, I would definitely agree. Um, I have definitely had moments like that. Um, but that open communication and forward thinking, even even in Purple, and it's been uh, past companies that I've been into, but uh, when you sit down and you recognize, you know, this is something that I don't necessarily think is leveling my dev skills up right now, but recognizing that, hey, you know, we do actually need to get, you know, this particular sale done so that we can continue to get those uh, good contracts that are going to be fun, um, whether you know it be something in hardware or development, that's other stuff that we've gotten into as well. Um, it's really like opening up your wings and branching out. Uh, in order to do that, you, there are always gonna be those projects that uh, you don't wanna do, but again, if you keep that communication open and have a forward mindset, um, that's how I got through it and it made it so much easier to bear. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we actually did want to have you on the show to talk about like how great Purple Rock is. Um, although I think it's mm -hmm. beneficial for people out there if you're interviewing with companies, like these are some things that are good to ask those companies. Hey, do you bring the dev team in whenever you're signing clients and kind of figure out what everybody wants to work on or what kind of technical skills they're interested in? And, um, do you have time for personal development during the week? Do we get like, you know, a couple hours on Friday or something to dig into what we want to dig into. All that stuff is really fantastic questions to be asking whenever you're in an interview. So uh, it's good to, to dig into that stuff occasionally. Yeah, I think that um, if anything, especially for somebody who's looking for a new job, that's definitely in the interview, something you should be asking from the get-go. Because if ultimately you are not looking to push yourself and really level up your skills, you know, yeah, you could be, you know, stagnant in a job for years and years, but if you're the type of person that you do actually want to move on eventually to bigger and greater things, you should be asking those questions not only to yourself, but, you know, also in your interviews to your potential future employer as well. Yeah, 100%. <clears throat> so, um, like I said, we, we didn't want to really dig in too much on the purple. Um, definitely check out their website. I think we'll link, link it on the show notes so everybody can check it out. But, uh, we wanted to talk about kind of how you got your start in development and kind of 
dig into um, some not so great jobs. So uh, if you can kind of take us back to how you got into, you know, being becoming a programmer and maybe what your interest it, was it interest in it was originally. Um, and then we can kind of go yeah. down there. Yeah, I think uh, it goes for me personally back to, I don't remember exactly what year it was, but I was in uh, eighth grade. I was actually uh, down in Kissimmee and uh, I grew up basically in Kissimmee uh, for most of my life. Um, but there's a uh, Kissimmee Middle School down there. I had a uh, very simple computer basics class where I had a, a teacher, to be honest, I don't even remember what his name was, um, but we had those uh, old, uh, I believe it was like the Blue Bondi Apple uh, school computers where he was basically teaching us how to, you know, take apart websites, uh, simple HTMS, HTML and CSS. Um, and that was my first taste. Um, really did not have an appreciation for it at that point. But then uh, when I actually got up into high school, um, it was that year for Osceola County uh, down here in Central Florida where uh, basically they changed the amount of credits that were needed to graduate uh, the year that I was a senior. So basically uh, I had all the credits that I needed and all of the essential classes that I would need to graduate, but my parents just did not you know, want me out doing whatever at that time. So they were like, you know, just stay in school the extra year, um, you know, live out the life of being a senior. And then, you know, that way you'll actually be able to go to your graduation ceremony and all that with your friends. Um, I didn't really have that many friends in high school, <laughs> to be honest, but I figured, you know, I just want to make my parents happy. So I, I went ahead and did that. And the funny thing is that for the last semester in my senior year, um, I was in the same classroom. We had a four by four schedule and basically I had four classes. It was uh, graphic design one, graphic design two, and then web design one, web design two. And it was all taught by the same teacher. It was, uh, I remember his name, he was uh, Alvin Olivo. Um, I've actually tried to find him since then to see if I could like reach out and thank him for all the stuff that he showed me. But uh, that's basically uh, what I did day in, day out my senior year of high school. Um, then moving on to graduation, I was that type of kid that I just had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do when I graduated. Even at this point, I wasn't even sure if I wanted to uh, pursue web development because I had heard that uh, the market was so saturated at that point. So a personal friend of mine actually uh, helped me to get a job in construction for his company. Um, it was not the most glorious job ever, uh, but, but uh, it was just doing... What's what kind that? of construction? It it was a flooring. So it was, it was, let me rephrase that. It was supposed to be flooring. Um, so like tile, carpet, things like that. Um, but there was the occasional uh, cleaning up mold, uh, finding a dead cat in rolls of carpet and stuff like that, that I had to take care of. Um, so it, it wasn't the most glorious thing, but it was interesting because my friend who actually owned this business at the time, he's a couple of, I want to say like 10 to 15 years older than me, I would say. Um, he basically uh, went to college uh, for a computer science degree, but he never used it. Um, he just wanted to open, you know, a honest shop where he could, you know, sell not only uh, materials for flooring projects like tile and whatnot, but also, you know, employ other people who want to install. Um, but then he saw that I liked doing that. So he let me work on the website for uh, that shop as well. Um, so I started uh, doing that, getting a little bit more into freelance stuff for web development. But then I eventually moved on to uh, soil and concrete testing. Uh, which is also another form of construction. Um, fast forward a couple of years, I was working on, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Lake Nona uh, hospital, the veterans hospital. Um, I'm, I'm not. I don't know about you, Eddie. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not too far from the uh, downtown Orlando area, but it's just a project that I was on. And um, long story short, there was just an accident uh, where basically concrete, a concrete, pipe where I was supposed to be standing, which is like literally the one job that I had to test. Um, I was supposed to be standing there. Um, the pipe burst, it, it uh, messed some guy up. He had to get, you know, airlifted to the hospital. And I was already messing with, you know, freelancing uh, a whole bunch of dev projects and even some design stuff, even though I wasn't that great of a designer. Um, but at that point, I was like, you know what, I think that this is a little bit too dangerous and I really want to pursue, you know, something else. So I started really doubling down and it was a little bit rough because my work days could sometimes be so bad as to be like 12 to 16 hours. And then I would come home, 
take a shower, eat dinner, and then, you know, put my nose in a book, so to say, um, for two hours a night, I would say. And I, even on the weekends, I did nothing, you know, didn't hang out with any friends or anything like that. But I did that for, I want to say anywhere from like four to six months. And, uh, eventually my brother-in-law, he's a Drupal developer, um, who works for uh, phase two, uh, up in New York, I believe. And he just told me, he was just like, you know, why are you studying so much, you know? And I was just like, you know, I, I just feel like I'm not, I'm not worthy of it. And he was like, just apply. Like, what's the worst that could happen? You know, they say no. And I was like, yeah, you know, I guess you're right. And I applied to a, uh, it was like a support development job. Uh, not the most glorious thing at first. Um, but sure enough, literally two days after we had that conversation, I was working in downtown Orlando, uh, with, at what's called now uh, starter studio. It was a open co-working space. Cool. Cool. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's quite the transition from construction to, uh, development. So, um, for anybody that's not familiar, uh, can you maybe explain a little bit um, what Drupal is? Yeah, so Drupal is a content management system. You have a couple. Uh, there's uh, th- what I call the three kings. So you have Drupal, WordPress, of course, a lot of people know that WordPress takes up a huge percentage of websites on the market today. And then you also have Joomla. Um, if you can, stay away from Joomla. Uh, that's what I started with. <clears throat> but uh, basically Drupal... I, I like to look at Drupal as uh, more of an enterprise level uh, con- content management system. It has a lot of tools where you can really get down to the nitty gritty and customize a pure experience, both both front end and back end for your client. Uh, whereas WordPress and Joomla, uh, they don't have as much of that customizability, if that's a word. Um, but yeah, that's definitely what I use the most right now for, uh, purple rock scissors as well. Um, and that's something that, you know, I, I would suggest at least, uh, dipping, you know, if you're new, uh, to the development field, I would at least suggest dipping your toes in and seeing, you know, at least what it's about, because once you start getting to any content management system at the core, they all do pretty much the same thing, but they do them in different ways and, uh, with different complexity as well. Okay. And uh, Drupal is built in PHP, correct? Correct. So um, I've always been curious about this uh, because Eddie and I do a lot of JavaScript, so not a whole lot of um, CMSs out there. Mostly everything in that space is like its own like uh, CMS as a service kind of thing where it's just a REST API and you interface with that instead of actually installing like the CMS on a server or something. So um, with stuff like Joomla and Drupal and WordPress, um, how much like actual PHP development do you have to do whenever you're working with one of those things and and running your own server for for Drupal or whatever? So it very much depends on the type of project that you're running into. Um, Typically for us at Purple, we're really focused on the experiences that people have both on the user's end and on the admin's end. We want to, you know, make a great experience for people who see the site, but we want to make using the site and adding to it as easy as possible. Um, and that takes a lot more work than people actually realize. So if you were just slapping a site together, uh, you had like a set amount of pages and a template that you were going to put together, you're not going to run into too much, uh, you know, writing of PHP or modules or anything like that. But then when it gets to the actual admin side of things, you'll notice uh, for like a lot of our contracts that we have, we'll, you know, go months and months uh, with planning, try to, you know, get as much information from the customer as possible to let us know what they need, what tools they need and what they need to be able to do. We'll finish the site and they'll always come back to us saying, oh, wait, you know, it would be so much better if we could do this. And it goes from an out-of-the-box solution with Drupal and open source modules. And it usually uh, tailors down to, you know, more custom things where we have to, you know, make a specific tool that if it's for like a hospital, for instance, you know, you have to be able to, I don't know, import information for health providers or something like that. It's um, it's always... Uh, it's always depending on the type of project. It usually starts simple, but you're going to run into much more complex things as you go down the road with that client. So do you find yourself using like a lot of 
maybe Drupal plugins. I don't know if they have plugins kind of like WordPress does, or are you kind of writing those yourself? Um, I would say it is probably a 60-40 split. So we typically start off projects with open source things, and then the client will find usually that it's not exactly what they're looking for. Um, so we'll either build off of those things or create something completely custom on our end. And I would say the 40% is more so for the custom stuff. Okay. And was Drupal kind of like what you were studying whenever you were working in construction and kind of coming home at night and working on your development skills? Oh, no. I knew absolutely nothing about content management uh, before actually getting my first job in development. Um, I basically, you know, went into that interview and uh, the company that was interviewing me was just like, hey, do you think, you know, you could get your head around Joomla, which was what they were using at the time? And I was like, yeah, you know, seems simple enough. And um, I, you know, put my, heads down, my head down for a couple days to try to, you know, get my brain wrapped around it. And surprisingly enough, I actually got it pretty quickly. Um, but no, but when I was working in construction, I was definitely not uh, familiar with CMS at all. So were you studying like PHP or? No, I was studying uh, mostly JavaScript. Um, that was something that I knew, I didn't understand at the time because I was more of a new dev, but I kept hearing that no matter what programming language you use, the principles are the same. They all just do them in different ways. Um, so I knew at that time, it seemed like with JavaScript, you could both work on front end things. You could also possibly work on um, server side things as well um, through, I believe it's uh, through uh, Node, I'm sorry. So it's like you could, if you have this one language, you'll be able to go through all of these different avenues and have more things open to you. And that is what really appealed to me. It was funny because when I was in construction, I was literally, there was so much downtime in that actual job. And I was literally using that company's computer to put together sites and put together my portfolio and whatnot. Um, but it was just basically, you know, going through a bunch of miscellaneous online tutorials that I found. I didn't really have too much structure, which I wish, I wish back then that I knew that structure was a good thing because it probably would have made me move faster as well. So how did you end up picking up PHP then just kind of on the job as you're working with Joomla? Yeah. Yeah. That was basically on the job. Um, there was a lot of, uh, plugins that this first company that I worked for, uh, actually paid for. Um, and they, we're in a position where they were like, we have to make this work for our client exactly how they need it. So we're going to need to, you know, take what we paid for and then fork off of it and customize it for this particular client. So I literally had to go into it, figure out what it did and then figure out what they needed it to do and, you know, make it do that. Cool. Cool. So it kind of sounds like you've been doing a lot of, um, like freelance and agency kind of work your entire career, right? Uh, pretty much. My first job was more of a, uh, a SaaS company. Um, but now with Purple, it's very much a, uh, uh, how do you say it, an actual agency. And SaaS is software as a service, right? Correct. Yes. Okay. Not the CSS framework, if anybody's out there confused. <laughs> no, no, not that one. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, Eddie. No, um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, we kind of wanted to, to chat with you a little bit. I know um, like Purple Rock Scissors is awesome. But we, we talked a little bit before we got on the call about uh, kind of less than ideal jobs. So I know I've, I've mentored some junior developers out there. I use the term mentored lightly. Um, they've gone out and gotten jobs and they've reported back like, you know, hey, Lee, this is a little bit different from maybe what we learned in the boot camp. You know, we're not using um, like source control like we should or, you know, we're not working on... Uh, I don't know, modern tech stacks, we're using jQuery or, or whatever. And so um, what was your experience like uh, kind of running up against that? And how did you handle it? So I want to answer this in a way that I guess, like I'm pretending there are new people coming into the industry in front of me. Um, with my first job, I was very surprised because, you know, when you're new in the industry and you're trying to be a developer, you, you know, check all of these blog posts, you sign up for these newsletters because you want to know, you know, what's the newest JavaScript library and whatnot. You want to keep stay up to date. And in doing that, 
I started getting a lot of information on things, simple things like security, for instance, or even project versioning, like using GitHub or uh, Git in general. Um, and I noticed that at my first job, these were simple, fundamental building blocks, like almost a foundation that just weren't there. I know uh, uh, Lee, we we were talking on the ODEV Slack and it was funny because I was telling you about how we didn't use uh, versioning for anything. And then on top of that, also we used FTP to update anything, which is not the best way, of course, to do things. So it was interesting. Oh yeah, go ahead. Can you explain to people out there that maybe haven't even heard of FTP, like what that process looks like? Because it's it's really different from like the ecosystem that we live in now with GitHub and, and Git yeah. and all those things. Yeah, so FTP, basically you're going to be given a set of credentials um, you use an FTP client to basically log in and you see your file structure. The problem with it is that once you're logged in, if you save something, there's not, unless you put something in place, there's not really anything that is saying what has changed in the past. So if you were to create any you know, new file or edits to, let's say, how your buttons look in... Uh, your site, if the client doesn't like your actual client, if they don't like how that is and they say change it back, you can't just, you know, revert to a previous uh, commit or something like that. You actually have to go in and basically redo the same thing over again. Um, and then there's other things too, where if your site gets uh, compromised in some way, uh, it's very hard to come back from that. Uh, whereas there's Whereas today, there's much, much better tools uh, in place to make sure that those things either don't happen or if they do actually revert what had happened. Yeah, so kind of as I understand it, if you're doing like uh, an FTP process, um, you've got like your server running and it has, you know, your code uh, on that server in like files and folders. And basically <clears throat> when you do um, that FTP, like not a, it's not a push, but um you're basically like copying over those files and kind of replacing them with the newer version of the site. And so it's just running off of those newer files, right? Yeah, it actually depends on the client as well because uh, sometimes depending on what you're working with, you wouldn't even have to copy anything. You could literally uh, edit and then as soon as you click save, uh, it starts to propagate. And once that propagation is done, it's live. Right, so if um, you've got uh, somebody that has access to that server or something, they can go in there and start maybe maliciously changing the site, editing things, changing the pages or whatever. Um, the previous version is kind of lost at that point, right? Correct, right. So there's this is like before the time of like CICD pipelines and DevOps and all this fun stuff that we have to learn about now. Yeah. Well, this, this particular story that I'm saying was not. That's what's funny about it. That's why we had that conversation. I was like, I'm new at this point. I was like, I'm new to development and I know that this is not the way that things should be done. Um, and when I was working for that first company that I was working for, there was a couple of times where things did get compromised. Um, and it just wasn't to, to turn it all around. It was such a huge process. There was a, even one client that we have, I don't want to like put names or anything out there that was out in California and it was a sporting facility that was very, uh, it was pretty much across the street from a military base, if I'm not mistaken. And basically their website uh, got like this extremist propaganda put onto it. Apparently um, it was put, I think they estimated like three months before they actually flipped the switch and the site completely changed to what they, the uh, hackers or whatever wanted it to actually show. But the problem was that because this sporting facility was next to that military base, there was a lot of generals at that military base that regularly played at that sporting facility. So it wasn't just a, hey, you know, your site got hacked, we're working to revert it and whatnot. It became a much bigger issue because that sporting facility started getting calls from their regulars saying, you know, what the heck is going on? Uh, we need all the details on what you guys have for this, where ultimately at the end it was nothing it was just, you know, some, you know, person that was trying to make a fool of the sporting facility. But um, 
that's that's the thing. That's something that could have been not only avoided, but the turnaround time and fixing it, even if it did happen, could have been a lot faster had we had the proper tools in place. Right, right. And so this company that you're working at um, that was using FTP instead of more modern tooling is kind of like an anachronism. They're they're kind of operating like a company would have operated, you know, years ago and have it yeah. updated to those better practices. Yeah, definitely. And I know that while I was there, um, we started to get into it was it was mainly because of myself and then a personal friend of mine that I had also helped get a job at this company. Um, we had helped them to start to get using uh, versioning, like uh, using Git and GitHub and whatnot. And then there was something else that we had uh, started with. I believe um, it was also with atomic design and development as well. Um, but again, these were things that, you know, I read about as a beginner and I was, you know, seeing there's value in these things, but it's hard because sometimes, you know, there's red tape and multiple levels of people that you have to go through to convince that these things are a good idea. Um, and it can take some time and it can be discouraging, but I would definitely say to anybody that's, you know, getting started in the industry, definitely, you know, keep your chin up and continue to do that only because, you know, it, it not only proves that you're a better asset for the company that you're working for, but, you know, it makes you a better person and developer overall. Yeah. So when you were in that spot and you're working for that company um, and, you know, you're like, wow, this is not great. You know, I'm sure there's uh, other people out there that have kind of maybe, you know, they, they keep up to date with um, current trends and they, they kind of are bettering themselves and constantly uh, pushing through and doing lots of tutorials and stuff. And you come across uh, some kind of process or practice. You're like, man, this isn't right. You know, we, we should be doing this or that. Um, how do you handle that as a individual? Do you kind of run that up the chain to your boss or do you like, do you just kind of sit on it and, and ignore it? Do you start preparing your resume and look for some other job that you can work at? Um, wh what do you think is kind of the, the best way to handle that? I would definitely say that I would say that all three are viable options. Um, but you really have to keep an ear to the ground and see which is the best for me personally in that situation. Um, I was still building out my portfolio and I knew, you know, I can go to my boss. I can suggest these things, which I did. And a couple of things did change. However, I also knew that whatever job I get next, I want it to be a good one. And at that point, even when I was, you know, back in high school, I believe it was, I was looking at purple rock scissors. That was like my five-year goal. And it's funny because like I got to that five-year goal in three years and then it was kind of like, well, well, what now? And then, you know, you have to create new goals. But that's, that's the thing is that you have to basically, you really have to stop, think about it. You know, you can go off and find a new job or something like that. But for me personally, I'm the type of person that if I'm going to go to a different company, I don't want just more money. I don't just want better projects. I want like a better quality of life too. And a good team that basically when I come into work every single day, I enjoy it and I look forward to it for me. And I, I feel like I'm totally hyping up purple right now, but I know for me, I've been at purple about two years now. It's going to be my two year anniversary in a couple of days. And, um, as of right now, it's still every single day I look forward to, you know, seeing my workmates and going through all the challenges that we know we're going to have, but we're in it together. So I would definitely say to anyone who's new, you know, if you're running into those types of things, it's not only, it's not an answer that I guess I can give. You really have to ask yourself, what do you want? If you want a bigger salary and better projects and whatnot, of course, you know, you could always leave where you're at now. But if you actually have if you're the type of person that you want that better quality of life and you feel like you have that better quality of life now with the team that you're with, try to, you know, bunker down and actually make those suggestions and, you know, work towards that change. I know that I did that a couple times and ultimately I didn't stay there forever, but um, I did stay there for a while and it definitely was worth it because it was nice to see, uh, I don't want to see say myself being validated, but you know, seeing that people saw value in the input that I had that really was just from, you know, all these blog posts and stuff like that, that I was reading. It wasn't anything new. 
Awesome. So is that kind of how you handled that FTP situation? You kind of said, hey, you know, guys, maybe we should do X, Y, or Z or uh, throw the stuff up on CICD pipeline or whatever, you know, the flavor of the day was, or did you yeah. kind of bail out of that job? That it was a combination of the both. Um, so we started getting uh, some of the projects on GitHub, I believe it was at the time. Um, actually, no, it was Bitbuck. I'm sorry. And um, but then at the same time, I was also working on my actual portfolio to try to make a move. I had uh, done an interview at Purple, did not expect to get it at all. And then uh, months later, they actually ended up calling me. Um, but that was, you know, that was more happenstance. It wasn't just, you know, I want to leave. It was just like, you know what, I'm just going to it was kind of like when I got the first job, I'm going to try the worst that they can do is say no. And that's exactly what I did with uh, Purple. And it turned out that that actually ended up working out very well for me. So did you have any um, other developers at, at this uh, job that you were working at before you got to Purple Rock Scissors? Um, were there like any mentors that you could look up to or kind of bounce ideas off of? Um, it was a pretty small team. And to be honest, most of the people that were considered on the development team, they were not developers per se. Um, they were kind of getting the job done, but as far as like, it's hard to explain. Like we as developers, like we know, you know, this is what we want to do. We know that we've doomed ourselves to a, a, a career that you have to continuously keep on learning. Um, but the people that I worked with at the time, they were not those types of people to try to keep leveling themselves up. Uh, they were kind of complacent, if I'm going to be honest. Um, but I did learn a lot from them. But once I got to that point of, you know, learning all I could, I started to realize, you know, it might actually be time to start looking at other things. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, kind of, I don't know if there's like a, like a gut feeling that you kind of get, but you're working somewhere and you're like learning new things. And then, you know, at some point you kind of look inward and say, I'm kind of doing the same old, same old, and it's a rinse and repeat kind of thing. And maybe it's time to move on and, and look for, you know, more responsibility, bigger, better things. It, would you agree with that? Yeah, I definitely would. And for me, in my case, that first company, it was a SaaS company. We had a product or a line of products and we were either, you know, making small iterations and, you know, perfecting them. But that's part of the reason, too, why I wanted to go to an actual agency, because agencies really keep you on your toes. Um, for a good agency, there's so many different projects that touch on, you know, so many different technologies and different types of clients that you're going to deal with. Um, and I think that that's why, you know, if you use getting bored as a meter to find out whether or not it's good to go on to a different job. For me personally, that works great. Um, but that's also why I've been at Purple for like two years now because we we never get bored. We're always on our toes. Um, so I would definitely say that's the type of person that I am. But again, you know, it all depends on the type of person that you are. So kind of to, to shift a little bit, um, you mentioned that, you know, Purple Rock Scissors was your, your end goal. Um, yeah. What did your interview process look like for getting on with them? Was that a place that you applied to once and you, you got an interview or did you apply a couple of times? I applied once. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, I think that it took a month to a month and a half to hear anything back. Um, and then after that, I had four interviews, um, which sounds like a lot, but they were actually pretty relaxed. Um, the first one was a first, you know, we don't, it, we, we take a very, very serious approach to culture in our company. Um, so the first thing is the culture check to make sure you're cool, I guess. That's what, like the basic way. <laughs> well, I have to know, um, what does that look like? Like, what's that interview? It's just basically like, they, it's a lot of companies do it now. We just want to know if you're a murderer or something like that. Something that you have to worry about. <laughs> the psycho um, test. Yeah, it's like a psycho test. So it's just, you know, asking general questions, trying not to ask anything too personal, because I know that depending on some questions, companies can get in trouble for certain types of things. But that's what the first thing is. Um, after that, it's another interview where they basically go over, you know, hey, you know, we think that you might be a good uh, fit for this Drupal position. Uh, would you mind actually going home and creating this uh, simple site, uh, something I think to my knowledge, it was pretty, pretty simple. I finished it in like a day almost. 
Um, and they're just, you know, checking, hey, you know, we have a lot of Drupal work coming in. We just want to make sure that you know how to do uh, what you say you know how to do. And uh, then you go in and you review the thing with uh, one of our senior devs. And then the third was uh, more so talking uh, different things like, what do you want uh, as far as like growing? Uh, what's your plan? Does your plan, like if you were to work here, can we actually make that plan come into effect? Does your plan also coincide with our plan as well? Um, so it's not, it's not uh, you know, I said four interviews in the beginning and that sounds like a lot, but it's not anything crazy, at least not for uh, Purple's side. Um, but yeah, I've heard I've heard some pretty crazy horror stories with uh, unpassable tests and whatnot. But I would definitely say that you know there there was some testing uh, for purple, but not anything like I've tried before. Um, there was there was a couple of companies that I interviewed at where I was in a room with like five other people on a whiteboard, and it was the absolute worst experience of my life. <laughs> you, you think that you know things, but then all of a sudden when you're under that type of pressure, you just completely blank out sometimes depending on the type of person that you are. And I am definitely that type of person. Yeah. The funny thing is um, some places will just grab like a secretary or something and sit them down in the room to make you nervous. But uh, yeah, hand you a marker and be like, Steven, you've done JavaScript before. Uh, explain to us temporal dead zone or something like totally mm -hmm. obnoxious. <laughs> Yeah, it's like uh, crazy questions. I remember the the people in that particular interview, they were very nice, but that was the thing was like, they were like, all right, here's a laptop and here's a whiteboard with a marker. We want you to do this exactly like you would do it even if we weren't sitting here, like Googling things and whatnot. And you're like, what? what? I'm in an interview where I'm allowed to Google things? And it, it like throws you for a loop and you completely um, are like a deer in headlights, or at least I was. I don't know. Maybe other people aren't. How about... Um you said it took you about a day to do that uh, Drupal project. Um, did you know Drupal before applying over there? Or uh, it kind of sounded like you worked with Joomla a little bit. And then uh, yeah. did you have like another job in between where you're working with Drupal? Or is that something you learned on your own? It was something because of my brother-in-law. And um, he was the one that originally had suggested that I even get into the industry uh, because he knew that I had some experience when I was in high school. Um, he had so much success working with Drupal that I started looking into it and it was something that I realized, you know, Joomla and Drupal are not that different. They just, you know, again, do the same things in different ways. Um, and I had, I want to say maybe four or five freelance projects where I just uh, put things together and sort of figure things out. Um, and that's why for me personally, that test I finished pretty quickly. Um, but I could see if you didn't know Drupal, it might take you maybe a couple days and there was no time limit. They were just basically like, you know, send this to us whenever you have it. Um, and as far as my knowledge goes, I don't think it would have really mattered when I would have sent it, but I know that I wanted the job so badly because it was on my, you know, on my bucket list basically. And, uh, I just did it as fast as I possibly could. Yeah. I had a similar experience, um, where I had a take home test actually a couple times. Um, but they sent me a, for my first job, they sent me a take home test that was like, build this thing in react. And then they sent me like a video and they wanted me to emulate the video. And, uh, it was kind of harrowing, uh, of an experience. <laughs> um, Eddie's laughing cause he had to take the same test, but yeah, um, it's, it was pretty rough, but I remember I worked on it for like 24 hours straight. Um, not like at my computer, but like working through in my mind because there was like an algorithm to it and some tricks to, to get like the CSS to work the way it did in the video. And, um, they also said no time limit, but to me it was like, I need to do this as fast as possible to impress yeah, them so that yeah. they are like, Oh man, this guy, he knocked it out. We, we got to hire him. Yeah. I, I would definitely say if anybody's in that type of, interview or take home test. If there's no time limit, I could believe that there's no time limit, but you better believe that if you finish it quickly, it's a lot better than, you know, waiting a week and sending it over to them. Yeah. I have to imagine. I like, like you said, I, I didn't go back to them and like dig into, Hey, you know, was this fast or slow or whatever? Uh, I did bug my boss eventually and was like, so I never got any feedback on that test. And he's like, we hired you. And I was like, yeah, but what did you think of the test? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, 
I also wanted to kind of dig into uh, the um, the plan interview because that's that's pretty interesting. Um, so they kind of sat you down and said, like, what do you want for yourself or where, where are you kind of looking to get out of working for us or how did that go? Yeah, so it was basically like um, I remember who it was, too. It was Chris, one of our senior devs now. He basically was asking me, you know, we know that you can do what you say you can do and what we're getting a lot of sales for right now. But because we're the type of company that we like our people T-shaped, where they have their specialty and you can delve into other things as well, um, what would you like to do if you had the chance? And I think I was talking about getting more into React and uh, working more on backend uh, things as well. Um, but it's funny because that stuff for me personally has changed over time. And for our company, we have, I think it's a monthly uh, questionnaire that you literally have time devoted to answering this thing and our higher ups like our managers and whatnot they want to know and see are you still interested in the same thing are you making progress towards it if not even if it switches what you want that's okay like for me it's switched um so that's a process that they have but that's why he was asking you know what technologies do you want to learn do you want to talk to clients like are you able to uh because i mean let's be honest some devs they're not the most sociable people. So it's just like, they want to know what, it, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Um, we want to know these things. It's okay. There's no problem in having weaknesses, but where do you want to get better? Because we just want to make sure that we can help you get there. Um, so it, it was, I would say definitely out of the four interview interviews that I had, they were, that one was definitely the most I guess heartwarming because it was it was no longer this fear of am I going to get the job or not. It was more of a talk of like how are we going to help one another, and it was actually pretty nice for a change. That's uh, that's pretty cool. Um, I, I kind of want to dig into that a little bit and and kind of the culture over there. So um, do you do you guys find yourselves having like frequent one on ones or are they kind of informal or like um, is there a lot of checking in on uh, other developers and kind of seeing like. Hey, where are you at in your journey or like, what's your personal roadmap kind of looking like right now? Or is that kind of rolled into, Hey guys, what do you want to work on type of meetings? It, I would definitely say that those types of meetings cover all of that stuff. Um, but you're actually doing it with different people. So we have like on our development team, we actually have our development manager. Um, he'll have one actual meeting with you where you're going over any things that you're stuck with your project. Um, but then we have like our lead developer who might want to talk about, hey, you know, how do you think that we can actually make things better? And it's funny because uh, that changes uh, month by month. But especially our lead developer, he's been asking us the same questions every month or I'm sorry, every two weeks. We call them fortnightlies. And um, basically, uh, he's been asking us the same questions. And it's funny because he's not telling us what our answers were last time. He literally wants to see like, are things getting better or are they not? Are they getting worse if it's a particular thing? And then if he sees certain patterns that he thinks he should actually bring out, like, hey, you know, you said that on uh, this particular project, the communication could be better by not using as many tools. So it's not as confusing for you guys as the devs. Um, and you've said that not just today, but you've said that for the past three sessions that we've had, has there actually been progress or is it just at a stalemate? And then it makes you stop and think like, yeah, you know, actually my you know, project managers and whatnot, they actually have been making um, progress towards it. Because even for me, as as like a dev, sometimes you'll like complain about things. But then when you stop and think about it, because he knows that you've been saying the same thing over and over, and he gen genuinely wants to know, is this still a problem? Then you stop and think about it. And you're like, actually, you know what? It It is not the best it could be, but it is getting better. And they're making their efforts towards it. So it's like, it's almost like a, a, a therapy session as well. It's pretty funny. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of a, uh, Eddie will probably know this. Uh, what's it called? At the end of a, a sprint. Retro. Retro, yeah. Retros are like a multi-hour affair uh, for our company because we basically want to get as m many things as we can down on paper. Like where did things... Uh, not go as well as they could have and how can we improve and let's make sure that we document this somewhere so that when we have a similar project we don't run into the same roadblocks again cool cool 
So um, I have to ask, since we're in the middle of this toilet paper crisis, um, how are you guys <laughs> handling the uh, the whole work from home phenomenon with the, the country uh, shut down? Lee, I've got four rolls on you right now. <laughs> I'll trade and, you. Um, no, <laughs> I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not opposed to using a towel. So if you want to send over some uh, Bitcoin <laughs> or something. Two, two rolls for a can of spam. Let's do it. Our, <laughs> no, uh, right now uh, what we're doing is we're actually working from home, the entire company. Um, we still have our offices open for anybody that absolutely needs to uh, go to the office. Uh, whether it be for like uh, food, um, drinks, if you don't have extra monitors, if you feel like you genuinely cannot actually work as well at home, um, we do have it open, but we're just having things in place where people are staying away from one another. But if I'm not mistaken, I have not heard of more than one person in the office at a time right now because we're really trying to make sure that uh, we're trying to do our part in, I think it's the, the term is flattening the curve. Um, with the whole coronavirus thing that's going on right now. Um, but yeah, uh, it's it's interesting because we already work from home every Wednesday. Uh, anyone who's a new hire after 90 days, uh, once you pass that point, you can work from home every Wednesday. So we already have a lot of things in place uh, to actually make that happen. So once you know we got the word from our CEO, you know, hey, we're going to do this, it was just like, all right, we're just going to do what we always do, basically. So it's not too much of a huge change for us. Is there um, any specific tooling or practices or anything that, that makes that better? Or do you miss going to the office and working with your coworkers? Or is it kind of the not as big of a shift as you would have thought? So it's not as big of a shift as I would have thought. But I think that there are some people who are on our team, like the entire company, that they are staying in more so than others. Um, just to avoid getting sick or passing on anything that them, they might have. Uh, it's even gotten to the point where we have like a breakfast, lunch, and dinner Zoom thing going on. And like anytime you pop in, like we have, uh, I want to say anywhere from like 15 minutes to like an hour during lunch where we're all just talking to each other, seeing how we're doing, uh, taking like a genuine lunch because that's how lunch is at the office. We have this long table that it's almost like Thanksgiving style where we all just congregate uh, whenever we can. Uh, so we're trying to do that same thing virtually still. Interesting. Um, has, cool. have you seen any, uh, I guess, slowdown as far as like productivity or anything, or is it kind of, everything's kind of humming along regardless of the, the pandemic and working from home and all that? I think the last I heard our sales are going up since this pandemic has been going on. Yeah. Which is a good thing. Um, I would definitely say that for us, we're in a really good industry, like one of the best, possible because we we've had you know so many personal friends and family members that have lost their jobs during this whole thing um but as far as like that scariness that is not something that we have even heard of or caught a whiff of um but yeah we're we've got so much work going on me personally I, i'm in uat uh, for a certain project that's supposed to be launching very soon so i haven't even been able to go to all of these zoom meetings where everybody's you know being social digitally um, but yeah, I would definitely say that overall morale is up and it hasn't affected us too much. That's awesome. Um, I know there's a lot of, uh, startups out there that are kind of seeing their funding dry up and also just other agencies that have kind of seen clients back off and say like, well, we're going to hold off and, and maybe not go through with this, you know, website or, or web app or whatever project. So it's good to hear mm -hmm. that you guys are, are still, uh, doing well as far as uh, business goes. Yeah. Eddie, uh, do you have any, any other questions? No, I'm sorry. Like my computer is like flipping out. So I'm trying to avoid <laughs> saying anything and destroying this. You're probably going to have to use a Skype audio for this one. Okay. Um, <laughs> I apologize. Cool, so, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll go ahead and, and move on to, uh, to nerd minute. So, uh, at the end of our show, we, we do a little thing called nerd minute where we talk about books or video games or, uh, comic books, movies, whatever it is that you're into. Uh, so Steven, you're the guest. Is there anything that you've been into lately? Um, yeah, there's two things. I recently within the past uh, couple of weeks to months have been super fascinated by cybersecurity and, um, just the whole, you know, ecosystem of, uh, truly 
having secure things, not just for your company, but also personally as well. Um, so I'm super into that. But two things to a, a show and a, a podcast that I've been into a lot uh, are Mr. Robot. I never finished that uh, when it originally came out. Um, but I'm on season two now. So because we're in this uh, type of quarantine, I'm trying to you know catch up. But also this podcast that I caught a wind of, uh, it's called Darknet Diaries. You can find it on uh, Spotify. I think it's also on uh, iTunes as well, if I'm not mistaken. That thing is amazing. It's got so many episodes of things that really happened that uh, I remember hearing, you know, some episodes I heard a little bit about, but then once you get into the nitty gritty of the details, it's like, whoa, I didn't realize it was, you know, such an issue. And then when you hear about how simple these exploits uh, were actually found and delivered and whatnot, it's just mind blowing. I've had my mind blown at least seven times on this thing. So I would definitely suggest listening to that podcast if you have the time. Yeah, I'm a, cool. I'm a, a huge fan of Darknet Diaries. Um, yeah. I've almost listened to every episode, uh, but yeah, you're, you're right. They go from everything from kid griefing people on Ultima online, uh, all mm-hmm. the way up to like the U S defense department disabling like a nuclear missile program in Iran. So, yeah. uh, it's like wow. the full spectrum of cybersecurity and it is fascinating to hear, uh, how all that stuff works and how people find exploits to, you know, websites, um, embedded systems like physical buildings uh it's kind of like defcon the show like the radio show uh it's it's, it's pretty awesome so yeah check that one out definitely um yeah. mr robot I, I just i watched like two episodes of it does it get pretty good or i saw christian slater get introduced and i kind of backed off from there but <laughs> yeah it's uh it's interesting it goes into a lot of you know the different things there's there's things in darknet diaries that have come up in mr robot uh when the show came out it used a lot of current events to drive the story um it gets kind of weird sometimes too but overall uh it's not just about you know security and whatnot it's also about uh the economy what human beings really are like also mental health uh drug addiction a whole bunch of things uh but the the premise of it that made me, uh, you know, so interested was the the hacking and the actual uh, network defense and whatnot that goes into it too. So I, I would definitely say it's only four seasons. Each season is like twelve episodes. If you have the time, you know, do it. If not, it's not a big deal. <laughs> yeah, I kind of caught from the episodes that I saw this um, underground hacking society that he kind of stumbles upon and and. Uh, meets through Christian Slater being like a bum on a, a train or whatever. Um, it yeah, kind of struck me as like, is that in his mind or is that like a real thing or is he hallucinating uh, that? I, I, I cannot say you, 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 it, it gets so wild from the difference between episode one and the later episodes that if you go back and watch episode one a second time, it's like, wow, this is a completely different person in the world. Interesting. Well, Eddie, what do you got? Um, I've been watching uh, this documentary series on Netflix called Tiger King. It's like number what is one. That? I keep hearing it's like number one and on Netflix right now. It's insane. It's about this guy that owns this like private zoo full of tigers, and um, there's another guy. He's a doctor, and like I think I forget what. I think he's in North or South Carolina. I forget. Um, but this other guy, the Tiger King, is in like Oklahoma. Then there's this other woman that's like against um, people owning tigers, which is a good thing. People shouldn't own a tiger. Um, and she has a sanctuary in Tampa, I think. And um, anyway, so this guy's life, all these people's lives are insane. Like the, the tiger King guy, um, he's, he's ran for president in 2016. He also ran for governor in 2018. Obviously didn't win. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Did he win governor? No, he didn't. We we probably would have heard about it by now. Yeah. Um, but his life is insane. And then, the woman that's opposed to these two private zoos, she may she married a, a millionaire and may have fed her husband to a tiger is what they kind of implied. At least that's what the guy's family thinks, because he just disappears one day and nobody knows where he went. 
and everyone thinks that she fed him to one of the tigers. So, and she don't eat the bones, right? No, but I mean, so the, the tiger King guy says when he feeds like a Turkey to a tiger, um, their stomach is so acidic that when they poop, there's no bones. So you oh, wouldn't well. even have, you wouldn't even see the bones if they so swallow like the bones. The, the turkey whole. That's kind of bizarre. I, I don't know, but they eat the whole thing. I, wow. I, I have no idea. They don't go into the whole digestive system tiger of the tiger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but this is just what he said. But this guy, the Tiger King, has like this crazy like obsession with this woman. And it, through, through the different episodes, you find out that he hires a hitman to kill her because she sues him. To the point where he's about to lose the zoo because he's paying for lawyers and he's trying to move the ownership to someone else's name and this person's name. And he meets some other older dude that dresses like a 25 year old in the 90s. He's got like a rag and, and a hat and he wears ripped up jeans. He's and he's the guy's like 55 <laughs> and he's got he's also like a, a, a he says he's rich, but. Uh, some of the other people on the show says he's he's not really rich. He's hiding it somehow. And all these crazy parties that they throw with the baby cubs and or the baby tigers and and it's 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 insane. There's so much stuff. There's like, cults happening in these little different like tiger private tiger zoos and oh sorry stuff that like that. Tiger, uh, tiger cults. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The 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 doctor that I I mentioned earlier. He, He's got some crazy cult thing going on because they interview a former employee and and what he does to these women, he makes them get breast implants and wears he picks their costumes when they when they uh, like present these tigers. And he does birthday parties with chimpanzees and rides a elephant into <laughs> into these parties. It's, it's insane. Uh, you guys got to watch it. Uh, I'm on the last episode. It, it, I'm sold. Crazy. Yeah, sounds like Siegfried and Roy minus the magic and the redneck. Version. Oh, there's uh, magic. There's definitely oh, magic. There we go. Uh, the, the Tiger <laughs> like King Siegfried guy. Roy. So the Tiger King guy is trying to get trying. He does. He's like does anything to promote his zoo. One of the things was magic. So <laughs> early on, they show him. Uh, he learned magic from like this 13 year old kid. <laughs> that he did a show with and he's like, Oh, can you teach me magic? And then he, he becomes friends with this kid and he starts doing magic and he does, um, the sh these shows in malls with tigers and, and bears and lions and, and magic and stuff like that just to promote oh the zoo. Yeah, exactly. And this, <laughs> this woman that runs the, the, like the private, the, the tiger rescue place shuts him down. And that's kind of where they're, they're, um, their beef happens uh but yeah it's insane it's, it's crazy man i highly um, recommend it <laughs> i don't have a whole lot uh first i wanted to say um one of my favorite video games uh metal gear solid um wanted to throw that out there uh and the reason I, I mentioned that is because every time this is a little nugget of wisdom that you'll never forget uh, every time i hear the name purple rock scissors I think of the line from Metal Gear Solid 2 where Colonel Campbell, like the AI, it's a weird game, but he ends up spouting this weird, crazy line about like um, oh. Harakiri See, and I need scissors yeah. or whatever. And I just cannot not it's think sort of, of the end of the game, right? Name. Yeah, at the very end of the game. Figure out that he's not real or whatever. He's like an yes. AI thing. Yeah. Yes. So, nice. uh, Steven, if you've never heard of that, I'll, I'll shoot you a screenshot of it. Um, it's yeah, absolutely sure. bonkers bananas. Uh, and it won't make any sense. It didn't make sense when I was playing the game. But um, it's kind of a, a reality bending moment where uh, the main character is uh, not hallucinating, but um, the video game is breaking the fourth wall and kind of messing with you, the player, and like cutting out uh, the screen and showing you like the game over screen. Um, but it's like a weird game over screen. Uh, and, but you can like continue to play. So a lot of weird stuff happens at the end of it. Um, yeah. which is kind of a, a trademark of those games, but, uh, I will shoot you a, a screenshot of that later. Yeah. I uh, want to see that. And then the other thing I wanted to throw out, there's a little bit more mundane and that is, uh, it's a game called chasm. 
and it's on Steam. It's a Metroidvania clone, actually probably closer to a Castlevania clone than anything. Um, really straightforward. It's a game about like a knight that is uh, like cave diving um, to save this town where all these miners and townspeople get trapped uh, beneath ground. So it's your typical Castlevania type of game, but I've just been playing the the snot out of it and having a good time with it. So wanted to throw that out there in case anybody out there is looking for yet another Castlevania clone. That's cool. Yeah. You can check that one out and probably pick it up on a steam sale for like five bucks or something. So you played Bloodstain? I have not, but I, uh, I did. It is in the massive pile of shame, uh, the okay. big backlog. So, um, <laughs> hoping to get to that one eventually. Dead cells is another one. It's really good. Okay. I think no, I don't own that one, but it's on the wish list of more shame. So okay. <laughs> cool. You so, wanna, uh, you wanna, Oh, no, no, I was going to say shame. Got, I was going to say the, the, game of shame for me is definitely animal crossing i think this past weekend i played like a solid 24 hours or something like that That that's interesting for switch too old for yeah way too old for that game uh but it's i don't don't know being stuck inside all day and not being able to do anything it's like oh why live real life when i could just play it on the tv (laughs) nice nice yeah i played the uh the gamecube version many many years ago but uh I don't like my daughter owns a switch, but I don't own a switch and I don't want to like snatch hers away cause I'll never give it back. <laughs> so <laughs> I haven't gotten into it yet. Cool. So, uh, I, that's all I've got for this one. Um, Steven, thank you so, so much for joining us. Uh, is there any yeah. like Twitter handle or anything that you want to throw out there before we wrap up? Uh, yeah, pretty much all my stuff is at Steven STGO. It's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S-T-G-O, uh, pretty much any social media if you guys want to follow me. Um, I put some funny stuff up sometimes. <laughs> cool, so we'll link that on the show notes. But uh, yeah, Steven, thank you so much for joining us. We had a blast having you. Yeah, thank you guys. Hey, thanks for listening to Tech Junior. Please head over to our website at techjunior.dev for show notes and past episodes. While you're there, please sign up for our newsletter. Um, it goes out once a week with the latest episode and other goodies that we think you guys would like. Um, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by becoming a Patreon subscriber. Special thanks to all our current patrons. And uh, we also have a Teespring store with t-shirts and stickers designed by Lee and I. Um, you can find links to both these things at our on our website at techjunior.dev under support. Um, please follow us on Twitter at techjuniorpodcast. Um, you can also follow our personal accounts. Uh, Lee is at Lee Warwick Jr. I am at Ed Otero. The O's are zeros. Thanks again and see you next time. <laughs>